Please turn with me now to the New Testament, to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. Luke, chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not, because of the crowd, for he was short of stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him, and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Because he also is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this familiar and joyful story, but Lord, we must admit that we do not understand the import of all these words. We do not really understand the explanation given. And how we pray, Lord God, that you would make us to understand. How we pray, Heavenly Father, that we would see Christ. That all those who have come, in order that they might see the Lord Jesus, that they might see him and that there would be no impediment, there would be nothing in their way. And Heavenly Father, how we pray that your, that your eyes of compassion and mercy would be upon us as we seek to receive of you this day. And we, we pray, Lord, to receive joyfully. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, we come to Luke chapter 19. Another chapter, another sermon, another sinner finds mercy from the Lord Jesus. When will we find that one exception? When will they that ever come to an end? Well, not today. Not today, but it's not the same story. It's the same outcome, it's the same theme, but it's not the same story. And the question is, what, is, what are the particulars of this sinner who finds mercy in the sight of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, in terms of the setting, we are still in Jericho as we were last time. And this, again, is a reminder that God does not have to show mercy. He once did not show mercy to this wicked city, and it was raised to the ground. But if he does show mercy, we know that it is always connected to some sort of covenant, even as the promise given to Rahab. She, of course, became part of his genealogy, the Lord Jesus Christ's genealogy. He was descended from this prostitute who found mercy in this condemned city of Jericho. And surely he was aware as he walked through this city, which was once destroyed, he was aware of the fact that in his human nature he was descended 
from an unworthy sinner, condemned to die along with the rest of them, except that God's people had made a special effort to rescue her because of a promise that had been given to her. Well, there is the city of Jericho, and then there is the man Zacchaeus. We know him. He's a man short of stature who climbed up in the sycamore tree. There's a children's song about it. There are children's books about it. I'm sure you know what I speak of. But there's a little bit more to it than that, because in the children's books that I've seen, that we have maybe, he's depicted as a harmless and delightful sort of smiling man. And let me say that tax collectors were rarely that, and chief, collector, uh, chief tax collectors never that. Uh, to do that sort of job, you had to be tough, exacting, heartless, more like a, a Russian mob boss than like uh, the children's character. He was a sinner. The, the word of God makes that very clear. You, you had to be a sinner to do that kind of job. And merely to come to his house would have been an affront to any respectable person, any respectable Jew, which is why they reacted the way they did when Jesus went to his house and ate with him and stayed with him. But that man was saved. That man did find mercy. And really, what we're doing is struggling to find an explanation. That's what's so great about it. We have both the story of this unworthy sinner being saved and also an explanation for it, a reason why. Now, the reason is not that he's a good man deserving of it. But the reason is that he's a lost sheep of Israel. And it just so happened, it was just his day, wasn't it? As a lost sheep of Israel, who should come by but someone whose mission was to seek and to save the lost sheep. Well, that's, that's our story. Christ came to seek the lost. Christ came to seek the lost, and there are four points this morning. A lost sheep seeks Christ, secondly, and finds. Thirdly, because he was a lost, lost sheep. Fourth, and Christ came to seek the lost. These are very, very simple. Maybe it goes along with what is sometimes taken as a children's story. But Christ came to seek the lost. And the four points are these. A lost sheep seeks Christ and finds because he was a lost sheep. And Christ came to seek the lost. All right. Well, first of all, a sinner seeks Christ. In verse 1, then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Well, as a chief tax collector, let me say there was no doubt that he was rich. Basically, it was a tax farm system, and the, the franchise could be given, just like a franchise in some very profitable business can be given to cer a, a certain person. So the Romans would give the franchise of a certain area of tax collecting to the chief tax collector appointed, and he, it was up to him to, to provide a certain number that was due that year for the, for the region, for the area. Maybe Jericho and its surroundings, for all we know. But there is under then this chief tax collector, these other tax collectors, who would also exact whatever they could and just turn in what was due to the chief tax collector. And the chief tax collector would exact as much as he knew how from his region um, sometimes very unfairly and using coercion in order to turn in, yes, what the Romans wanted, but also as much profit as he could make. Now, 
In addition to that, in addition to this, this very unfair and unjust system, in addition to it, of course, he was a traitor. All tax collectors were traitors to their nation. They were ones who were collaborators with the Roman occupation. And again, he was doubly a sinner. The job entailed injustice. It entailed being ruthless and taking from whomever he could take. And it also entailed being a traitor to his own people, the nation of Israel. That's important. Well, this tax collector, he was rich, and there's no doubt that he was a, he was a sinner, and therefore he was lost. So here is this lost sheep seeking Christ, because that's the other thing that was true about him. Yes, he was rich. Yes, he was lost. But he was seeking Christ. In verse 3, he sought to see who Jesus was. Now, you say, isn't that mere just curiosity? He just wants to see a celebrity, maybe, perhaps. Now, of course, if it was out of the pure motive that he really believed that Jesus was the Messiah, and that's why he was seeking him, well, he was already saved before he even came, right? If he already believed that Jesus was the Messiah, then he's already saved. Let me just say, of course, there's something lacking in his faith. Of course, there's something lacking in his understanding. It's neither here nor there. That's the case for everyone who's ever sought the Lord Jesus. They've never come with perfectly pure motives, with a completely uh, 100% knowledge of who Christ was. If they, if they did, they'd already be saved. Right? The fact is, for whatever reason, he came to see the Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's what's written in the back of this, this pulpit, by the way. Sir, we would see Jesus. Right? It doesn't say at the end of that, and those who come out of mere curiosity aren't welcome. Because those, those Greeks, those people who came on that day, maybe that was curiosity. I don't know. But whatever it was, he did the best thing that any sinner could possibly do in this life, which is to seek to see the Lord Jesus Christ. So this sinner, this lost sheep, he seeks Christ. But notice there's an obstacle in his way, an obstacle to his seeking, an obstacle to his seeing Christ, and that is he could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. There's a great crowd following, and he's not very tall, so he can't see over them, he can't see Christ. Christ wasn't in some pope mobile the way the, the pope is, so everyone can see him. No, he's just walking humbly in the midst of the crowd, and he just can't see him. And let me say that there are always going to be things that could get in the way of us coming to Christ if we let them. Always, always, always there will be things that could be in the way of us coming to Christ or even seeing him if we let them. And let me say that that's what's so wonderful about this story. That's why it's such a wonderful picture of what it's like to seek the Lord Jesus. He didn't let it get in his way. Zacchaeus didn't let this stop him. So in verse 4, he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. Now again, you have to think about it. He's not the happy, jovial man that's depicted. Again, a ruthless mob boss would be more appropriate if you think about a picture, not that he was exactly that, but something along those lines. If somebody didn't pay up, he was going to send somebody around to, to sort you. Okay? 
And to see him then running ahead of the crowd and climbing into a tree, laying aside all of his gravitas, all of his, his composure and all the rest of it, that's an amazing thing. It's, a, again, a wonderful picture for us of what seeking the Lord Jesus Christ demands. Yes, there are things that might be in our way. And again, even his own pride could certainly get in the way. And let me say, if you even to seek the Lord Jesus Christ in a proper way, your pride has to go. All right? Your pride has to go. And you have to humble yourself and become as what? As a little child. That's why the children's books are deceived into depicting this man. Because at this moment, he was acting as a little child. And that's the heart that Jesus says that anyone who comes to him must have that heart. Because as long as you are lifted up in your pride, as long as you remain too dignified to, to run, too dignified to climb a tree, then you will not see the Lord Jesus Christ and you will not be saved. No, you must humble yourself as a little child and come in that way and let nothing get in front of you. So if you were to ask him, this man Zacchaeus, in a very simple terms, why did you, Zacchaeus, so if you imagine you were 10 feet in front of Jesus and you came and you saw him running and you, you looked up in the tree and you saw him, Zacchaeus, um, uh, I don't know what's the word used for a mob boss, but, you know, Godfather, why, why have you come to, and why are you up in the tree? And he would say to see Jesus. This lost sheep has come to seek the Savior. And what do you know? Our second point is that he finds. This lost sheep seeks. And secondly, he finds. Because in verse 5, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Now, we are taken aback on two accounts here. Certainly the immediacy it was almost as if Jesus had been expecting him or was looking for him, right? And also the fact that he knows his name. Hmm. Knows his name and he calls him by name. Where have we heard that before? Isn't that what Jesus says in the Good Shepherd passage in the Gospel of John? That he knows his own sheep and he calls his sheep. He knows them by name and he calls them forth. And they hear his voice and they come. That's exactly what's happened here. Why, he's a shepherd. He has sheep and he just sees one. He's walking around this world looking for his lost sheep. And there's one. He says, Zacchaeus, I've been looking for you. Come down. I must stay at your house today. Now he finds and this works both ways doesn't it in verse 6 he made haste and came down received him joyfully let me say this is a perfect wonderful when i say he finds that means he has believed in the lord jesus christ and this is a picture of what genuine faith looks like if if at first we see a picture of what genuine seeking looks like and we do we now see a picture of what genuine faith looks like Because he hears the voice of the Lord, he hears his name being called, he hears and he obeys the command to come. You know the gospel is both an invitation and a command. Let's not forget that. The Bible frequently speaks of obeying the gospel. 
And so when the Lord Jesus speaks through the words of, of the gospel and speaks to you and calls you, you obey, you see. That's what coming to Christ entails. It is an obedience to the voice of the Lord Jesus calling you. And so he, he hears this voice, he obeys it immediately, immediately, and joyfully. That is what genuine faith looks like. And it doesn't stop there. Beyond that, there is genuine repentance to go along with it. Because look, it's always repent and believe. Those two things go together. There's no true faith without repentance. And so there is repentance here. Because in verse 7, when, all they, when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He's gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Once again, it's like pulling a string. You know what's going to happen. If Jesus saves some particularly notorious sinner and spends any time with them, certainly if he eats with them, you know the Pharisees, the leaders, are going to complain about it. They all complained. He's gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. And you guess imagine Jesus saying, A sinner? I had no idea this man was a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. Now, has he just paid for his salvation? Has he? No. Does that mean that he deserves this? No, not at all. No. What this is, is a, a evidence that he actually has repented. He has not just on some superficial way, followed Jesus for a moment. He is putting his old life behind him. He is turning away from all of his sin. And he is taking his ill-gotten gains and giving them back to the ones that he stole from. That's what he says. If I have taken anything by anyone by false accusation, again, that was almost part of the game, I restore fourfold. This is repentance. It's a perfect picture of it. It's not just that in, in, your, in your mind you have some weak intention that I'm not going to do this again. But you do practically the things that are going to demonstrate the reality of your repentance. That's what it looks like. Now, what about this thing about he's gone to be a guest with a man who's a sinner? Do they have a point? Well, yes, theoretically, all right? Even today, we excommunicate people who are in open and defiant sin, and we disfellowship them, lest they be encouraged to continue on in their sin, and unless the world around, uh, be, lest the church of Jesus Christ be brought into disrepute because there are these open, defiant, unrepentant sinners whom we are embracing and openly uh, receiving as one of our own. But that didn't, doesn't apply to this man. Now, maybe that morning, that morning before Jesus came, he was an unrepentant, defiant sinner, a famous sinner. And none of God's people should fellowship with him. But by the time that he came and rejoiced and embraced Jesus Christ in faith, and by the time he made this promise, of course, to restore this, this money, he was a repentant sinner. And he was saved. He was a believer. And therefore, it was right that Jesus had fellowship with him. Let me say before we, we conclude this second point, here is someone who is rich who has been saved. Isn't that interesting? It wasn't that long ago that Jesus had said how hard it is for the rich, those who are rich, to enter the kingdom of God. 
And yet, immediately we find an example of one precisely who is rich, who has entered the kingdom of heaven. And you remember what the explanation was. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things, even this thing, is possible. So the lost sheep seeks and the lost sheep finds. And thirdly, why? Why does he find? Why does he get what he's looking for? The answer is because he was a lost sheep. That's who he was. That's his identity. Verse 9. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because. And we say, because of what? Salvation has come to this house because. What's the explanation? Because you guys don't see all of his qualities, but I do. He's actually secretly been, been establishing charities and so forth like that. No, not that at all. There are two interrelated explanations, one concerning Zacchaeus and one concerning Jesus for why this lost sheep was saved. First, concerning Zacchaeus. He also is a son of Abraham. Now, years ago, I want to frankly admit to you that that was a meaningless statement to me. What? You also is a son of Abraham. What, what does that have to do with the story? So I, I couldn't have, have told you anything about covenant theology. I had no idea what the implications of these things w- would have been. And really, if, if you're not in some covenant mode of interpreting Scripture, it still doesn't make any sense. But now it does. Now it does. He might, at the moment, have been like the prodigal son in rebellion and sin. No fit, reception, no fit recipient for salvation. No fit recipient for any good thing. And yet the prodigal son had one thing. That he was a son who had a father who loved him. And indeed was in covenant with him. And there, in this case, this man, though he was deep in rebellion and sin, there was this covenant promise given to his father, Abraham, and to all of his descendants that had never been revoked. And so there is, as it were, you know that Abraham's alive. Jesus reminds us of that. He's not dead. God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he stands there even like with that poor beggar, Lazarus, receiving all of his sons who embrace his covenant promises in faith. And so as we see this sinner, this lost sheep coming to Christ, it's because he was a son of Abraham. He was eligible to receive the promised blessing because he was a son, an inheritor of that covenant promise. And doubly so, because by believing in Christ, he's now a true son of Abraham. We know that there were sons of Abraham that weren't really sons. Do you understand what I mean? I mean that physically they came from Abraham's line, but they weren't like Abraham. Because Abraham, when he heard the, the promises of God, now he wasn't, a, he wasn't a perfect man. Just read Genesis. You'll see he's not a perfect man. He's a sinner. But when he heard the promises of God, he received it in some degree of faith. Not even perfect faith. Some degree of faith, and he was saved because of it. And all of his true sons also receive the promises of God in faith. And that's what's happening here. What else were the promises of God other than that I'm going to send a Messiah who will save you? And he was a son of Abraham in both senses. So he was saved. This lost sheep was saved. Why? Because he was a lost sheep. And that is what he was as a son of Abraham, a sheep. 
eligible to be saved. And fourthly, well, that wasn't the end of the, the explanation, was it? Because that only tells that his eligibility for this situation. He's being a lost sheep. But also because Christ came to seek the lost, you see. In verse 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, that's very much related to the other thing as well. The fact that he's a lost sheep and Christ came to save the lost, well, those things work pretty well together, don't they? You recall that widow from Canaan who is, in this case, a Gentile. Matthew fifteen twenty-two, And behold, a woman of Canaan came from the region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now we know he was willing to extend that in his mercy and grace also to anyone who'd come and call on the name of the son of David. But he particularly came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And we are thankful today that Christ extends out the mission of the church to all nations. But during his own earthly ministry, he came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And that certainly included Zacchaeus. And so going back to verse 5, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down today. Well, yes, it was as if he were looking for him. Because that is precisely what he was doing. That was his work of his earthly ministry until the time of the cross. He was coming seeking the lost sheep of Israel. And he found one. Now that tells us, you see, that explanation tells us something about the heart of the Lord Jesus. It tells us about the heart of God. That he's not merely tolerant of the possibility of sinners coming to him. Which would be good enough, really. Well, not really, because unfortunately we don't, on our own initiative, often come to him. That's a problem, isn't it? Well, he is rather positively seeking the lost. Okay? So there are three possibilities. There's God and his justice that sinners could come to him all day long and they would be refused because they have not met his holy requirements and God would be just in sending each and every one of them to hell. Then there's a situation whereby God is here and sinners come to him and he receives repentant sinners in his mercy. That would be even better. That would be fine. Again, as I say, there's that minor problem, though, of our own hearts that we don't normally do that. But then we have the best case scenario, the one that you and I, if we were writing this gospel, if we could have picked one, would say... I know this is too much to ask, Lord, but if you're asking me, I would actually prefer that you come and seek and save me. Is that okay? And he says, you know what? That is okay. That is precisely what I am. That is what I do. That is what the Lord Jesus Christ came precisely to do, to seek and to save the lost. That's the heart of God. That's why he was at Jericho. That's why he went in all the various places he did. He could have just stayed in one place until the moment of the cross. But no, he, he kept on going from place to place throughout the land of Israel, seeking the lost in order to save them. Luke five thirty one. maybe you remember that. Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, 
but sinners to repentance. That's what he came for. He came to seek and to save the lost. Well, praise God. Christ came to seek the lost. This lost sheep seeks Christ and finds him, not only because he was a lost sheep, but because Christ came precisely to seek the lost. And as we apply these things to ourselves, let me say, first of all, let nothing stop you from seeking. Let nothing stop you. I will say this, doing things by halves will not do you any good in any part of life. Here we see these these little motivational posters. I'm not sure who put them here on the walls. It all seems very motivational, inspired, great, inspired is incredible, ability, motivation, attitude, believe you can, all the rest of these things. Well, if I was only going to give you that sort of advice, the kind you can put on a little placard, I would say this, that if you do things with all of your heart rather than half-hearted, half-heartedly, you will uh, advance in any sphere of life, okay? Whether you're speaking of your personal life, whether you're speaking of your uh, situation as students, situation in your vocations, uh, doing things by halves is not going to help you at all. It's probably going to be the end of whatever thing that you're endeavor you're working on. Doing things by holes, embracing it, throwing yourself into it with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, that is what is going to bring you success. Okay? Humanly speaking, in ordinary human endeavors. But we're not talking about that today. Okay? We're talking about seeking God, and let me say that it is even more so the case with that. Okay, doing things by halves will not help you when it comes to seeking God. Let nothing stop you. If there is an obstacle, if there is a scheduling issue, you overcome it. How many people are in hell right now because they never could find time in their schedule to come to church? I know people who I'm invited, and their excuse, maybe before God, they know their hearts, all right? But the excuse that they give to me, maybe the excuse they've given to you is, I'm too busy. Burning, rotting in hell right now because they couldn't find time in their schedule to come to church. Brothers and sisters, if you're not already saved, if you're not already a believer, let nothing stop you from seeking. You're not your schedule not, not your work, not your personal life, certainly not the fact that you're a sinner. That's the very thing that makes you eligible to come in the first place to Christ. If you're righteous, don't, don't come. Let nothing stop you. This man was short. There were worse things in life than, than that, but it actually was an impediment to him seeing Christ. But he did not let it stop him in the slightest. Now, he could have. He could have said, I... You know, I had a, a brief moment of time in my busy schedule of, of, of uh, exacting revenge on those who didn't pay up and of making sure that all of my people were keeping their quotas. I had this brief time to see Jesus, but I, I couldn't. The crowd is tall, I'm short, and I, I didn't see him, and I'll just go back to where I was. But he didn't. I will run ahead, and I will climb this tree to see Jesus. That, my friends, is a picture of seeking. If you want to find Jesus Christ, do likewise. Those who have been faithful and little will be given more. You know that, right? He didn't have much. He didn't know much. But he, wor- he worked with what he had. Those who are faithful and little will be given more. But those who are unfaithful in what they've already been given, well, even that will be taken from you. Seek it. Seek him like you mean it.
Secondly, I would say to covenant children, embrace Christ. Covenant children, he's your birthright. Can, can you be certain that he came to seek and to save such as yourselves? Yeah, you can. Absolutely you can. You better believe it. This, this man here, he had nothing going for him morally, nothing going for him religiously, spiritually, except he happened to be a son of Abraham. That's it. Jesus says, yeah, he's saved. You know why? He's a son of Abraham, just like you are. Just like you are. And his claim came for mercy, to cling to mercy in, in, in faith. His claim to receive that mercy was precisely because he was an inheritor of that covenant promise. Look, I, even those who are not covenant children, I'm saying there is hope for you. I'm saying, in fact, that invitation has now been extended to all the world. But it extends particularly to covenant children. What a glorious birthright. What a glorious inheritance. You need never wonder whether you are eligible to receive these covenant mercies. You know for certain. Embrace them. Embrace Christ. Receive him joyfully. Thirdly, I would say this. Let's be thankful for anything that makes you humble. Now, I've just said, isn't it interesting, that Jesus has made it very clear the rich, it's very, very hard for the rich to come to Christ. And you have this rich young ruler who had, what, everything going for him. And that was his problem. That was his problem. He had everything going for him. And that's what kept him from Christ. He was so unused to asking for mercy, so unused to having any need, so unused to not being able to do it for himself, and always thinking of himself as sufficient, and these things were, were destructive of his ability to come to Christ. So, my friends, if God has given you something that in the side of the world makes you a little lesser, maybe even your stature, maybe some other sort of physical deformity, maybe some other mental deformity, who knows, whatever it is, that makes you less than perfect in the sight of the world, praise God for it. Because it may be already that which God has used to make you a believer. Because as long as you are lifted up in your pride and self-sufficiency, you'll never come to Christ. Indeed, if you remain in pride and self-sufficiency, how are you not only going to believe, but if, if that were true, if it were possible that you'd remain that way in a Christian, how would you, as a Christian, how would you ever be of any service to his people. No, if, if he has given you something, a thorn in the flesh, to keep you humble, then you should be thankful for it. Fourthly and finally, I would say to the whole church, to this, my church, that we must seek the lost. Right? This is what Christ is like. He is not passive. He is active he is going out, and he is seeking the lost. And that, my friends, is what we need to be like. I know that we have the heart. I know that we desire to see sinners saved. But we must have a little bit more of the, the gumption, determination, and courage to do as Jesus himself did, to seek and to save the lost. And I pray that the Lord would enable us to do so more and more in the years to come. Let's pray.
Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we are thankful to know of the heart of the triune God. We know that Christ himself is the image of the invisible God, and whatever we see in him, we see in God. And Lord, this then is your heart, that you would seek and save the lost. You sent Christ in order that he might go look for them. And he rejoiced when he found them. And all heaven rejoices, we know, Lord, when these lost sinners are found. How thankful, Lord, we are for the graciousness and the broadness of your promises, your covenant promises, your invitation that extends to the whole world, yes, particularly to covenant children, and we are thankful for that. But now to all the Gentiles, all the nations of the world, the call goes forward. And how we pray, Lord, that lost people would hear the voice of Christ inviting them, calling them by name, and would put their faith in him. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.